we've been walking our way through the book of Ephesians. Uh, We've covered all the way from the very beginning of chapter 1, and now we are in the final chapter of the book. It's been some weeks now, uh, and so it's fairly exciting that we're here, but we are now in chapter 6. And I promise you, this was just God's timing. Though it is Father's Day today, uh, and this passage just happens to mention fathers. So, uh, thank you, Lord, for that little coincidence. Or uh, we wouldn't call it a coincidence, would we? Um, Let's start with verse 1, and then we're just going to read through verse 4. Children. Children? Children. Obey your parents in the Lord. Hunter and Andrew. (laughs) For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may you live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I need to do a little recap. Because this passage, just like last week, as we looked at the institution of marriage, because that's where Paul had us in chapter 5 of Ephesians, all of these things, including marriage, including this week on children and fathers, including next week on the uh, sort of employee-employer relationship, in, in our passage it's slave and master, but nonetheless, that's what it's getting at. All of it is built upon this concept earlier in chapter 5 about submission. And submission flows out of the fact that God says that those that know Him are filled with the Spirit. And in chapter 5, there was a distinction made about being filled with the Spirit and being drunk with wine. You guys may or may not remember, but I'll refresh your memory. There is something that is very similar about being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit. And there is something that is very different about being filled with the Spirit and being drunk with wine. Here's the similarity. They both help you to deal with the fear and the shame in your life. Alcohol absolutely helps with that. Or, specifically, as Paul mentioned, getting drunk. It really does uh, give you a solution to dealing with the fear and the shame in your life. Now, it's a bad solution. Because it works very poorly in actually dealing with those things in your life. Now, that's the difference of course, is the fact that when we are filled with the Spirit, instead of our brain being, being depressed, which is what alcohol does, it shuts out reality so that we can be like, oh yeah, all's good. I love you, you love me, ain't everything happy in the world. Right? It's just shutting out reality. But the Spirit comes in and does the opposite. The Spirit actually expands our view of the world, expands in our brains, so that we see reality for what it really is. That there is a God behind reality, and He is directing all of history, and He is active in our lives, and this is the most important part for today especially, He loves us. That's what the Spirit does. It's more of like a stimulant that occurs within us, and we see all of reality in a certain way. And now Paul, again, I'm going to refresh our memory from chapter 5, he says three things primarily are going to happen when the Spirit does this work within us. We become, um, we become someone who sings a lot. 
We spontaneously, literally break into song because our hearts are so full of the joy of the Lord, we sing. Now also, we find that we are effusively thankful. Our lives are literally just an expression of thankfulness. Everything I have is from you, Lord. I wake up in the morning and I'm just excited about the fact that I can breathe and that I have a bed that I woke up in and I'm just thankful. And then finally, the last thing that occurs when the Spirit fills a person is that we submit. This one's a little weirder, a little harder to understand. And Paul says we submit to one another. And now what's happening in our passage last week and this week is he's giving us direct application of what it means to submit to other people. Now, as we did last week, let's talk about submission for a minute. None of us in our natural state, without the Spirit filling us, likes to submit. I think we can all acknowledge that. It is difficult to submit to another person. Here's why. Submitting can be viewed as simply giving to others. Giving to another person, giving them deference, giving them their wants, their desires, their needs, um, giving yourself as a person over to them, giving, it might be of your physical goods, giving to them. It's just constant giving. And then the opposite of that, of course, is selfishness. Selfishness is taking, taking from the world around you, taking from the people around you, and just a constant uh, focus on the self. Now, as we mentioned last week, that's built upon fear. We all live consistently with fear that we are going to be missing out, that we are going to miss a part of life, that we're going to miss something we want for ourselves, that we're going to miss some good product out there if we start to give to other people. I'm not going to have enough for myself. I'm going to be wanting. My life is going to be horrible if I start to actually give myself to other people. And so we spend much of our lives in the process of taking. Paul says, look, you got to reverse this. (laughs) When the gospel moves in, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it says to us, all of us, that you have everything you could possibly need or want through Jesus himself. You are going to be provided for in every way. The sparrows you see outside that nest in the trees, the grass that grows right out there in that field, God takes care of them, and He's going to take care of you way more so than those things. Jesus says, you have got all of the riches of God in His hands, and they are poured out for you. We have it all. right? Remember when I said that last week? We are like people who have nothing to lose when we're Spirit-filled. Nothing to lose. I've already got it all in God, right? So that makes me a giver. And how we watched last week as that played out in marriage. It's two people who have nothing to lose, and they just constantly submit and give to one another. And it's beautiful. But it can only be true for someone who's spirit-filled. That's also true for our passage this morning. Children, he's going to say, okay, how does this apply to children and parents? Some of you, many of you in here are not parents, okay? But we're all children. So at least a portion of this sermon is going to directly apply to you today. So let's talk about children. Let's talk about what it looks like, and I switched it up just slightly this week, what it looks like to be a child, if you're taking notes in your bulletin, it's right in the inside insert, first point is right here, what does it look like to be a child with nothing to prove? Last week we said, what does it look like to be a husband or a wife with nothing to lose? This week we're switching it up a little bit, what does it look like to be a child with nothing to prove? There's a command here that Paul gives, honor your mother and father. 
and it essentially applies the concept of being filled with the Spirit and learning to submit to the real world. The command is to honor, and in this passage, obey the parents. Now, Paul is specifically talking to children, young children, in this passage, which is why he takes the principle of honoring your parents and applies it specifically to kids. Kids, obey your parents. That's what Paul's saying right here. But the reality is that this principle goes for adults also. This concept of honoring your mother and your father. Now, let us talk for just a minute about what this is not. We have to be clear if we're going to actually learn to honor our mother and our father. This is not a command to feel love for your parents. Yay. Because many of you don't. Now, praise the Lord if you do. But the reality is that our feelings for our parents, like our feelings for any person on this planet, go up and they go down, right? You sometimes feel love, you sometimes don't feel love. But God says, through it all, you must honor your father and your mother. Another thing, this is not a command to always obey them. Whoa, this this doesn't apply to you kids, sorry. (laughs) There are obviously times, it depends on the age and stage of your life, and it depends on the wisdom of your own parents, but there are times when you're going to need to break in obedience to your parents because it's something where you have to obey God first and not your parents. So there are times where you're going to have to say, I cannot obey my parents. That's okay. That's not the command. Okay? It's not a command to listen to your parents. (laughs) Just call it like it is. Okay? Sometimes, yes, you should definitely listen to your parents. I encourage you, on the whole, to listen to them. But sometimes, they're going to give you terrible advice. And it is your job to reject their advice. Okay? So it's just, I'm just being clear. These things go up, they go down. That's not the command that's in front of us. Also, and I'm hoping this is freeing some of you from being locked in. Here's another freeing one. It's not a command to always agree with your parents. I guarantee some of you in here have different political views than your parents, don't you? Right? And sometimes you get into heated discussions around the dinner table. You don't always have to agree with them. But, Paul says, you must honor them which means that you will treat them with respect and dignity when you are having those heated discussions about different political positions. And if they have raised you right, you might be in the best position if you have a different, different political position than them because they've allowed you to be a free thinker. Yay, yay and amen. Okay, what is the principle, though, in front of us? It says, honor your father and mother. This is not a feeling but a moral choice. Paul says submission to the Holy Spirit, or the way the the Holy Spirit moves in your life, it's going to allow you to submit by honoring your mother and your father. And it's a moral choice. It's based upon the fact that I have all riches in Jesus Christ. And guess what? Part of those riches is I have the love of the Father in heaven on me. And man, am I just full of that love. And guess what? I don't need I don't crave, I don't have to have the approval of my parents. And when that occurs, I can actually begin to start honoring them. Let's talk about, let's talk about this honoring thing. Honor, the word here in the Greek, it means to give worth and value to something. It means to attach a high price tag on something. That is what the word means when it says honor your father and your mother. You're going to have a very difficult time truly honoring your mother and father if you're constantly needing something from them. You've got to be freed by the Lord of the need for their approval if you're going to honor them. Now, 
how do we honor them? I'm going to look at just a few, I'm going to name just a few practical things because it's Father's Day, totally appropriate. You might need to do this this afternoon. We honor our parents by doing the little things that always show a person they have worth. We remember birthdays. We call them when we don't feel like it. We give them gifts when we know they do not deserve those gifts. We take care of them when it costs us something. This is a moral choice to attach high value to our parents, even if we don't agree with them, even if we're not feeling love that day towards them because they have hurt us in some way in our past. We move in honor as the Spirit works within us toward our parents. Another way we give honor to our parents is being willing to give them some credit. Okay, I know your parents may have hurt you. They may have neglected you. They were selfish also, just like you are. But you've, you, I guarantee every single one of you are able to give at least even a little credit to your parents. Um, how about you know, the fact that they showed you what hard work was? They may have neglected you in the process, but they showed you what hard work was, and you can appreciate them for the fact they showed you that. They took you to your ball games, perhaps. What about the fact they might have shown you good financial stewardship? And so you can appreciate them for that. What about the fact they took care of you when you were sick and you can appreciate them for that? Focus on the things that they did for you and not on the neglect and the pain of abandonment. This is what Paul, again, he's saying, when the Spirit begins to fill you, submission begins to take root in your heart, you will start to naturally, by the power of the Spirit, honor your mother and father in some of these ways. And finally, this is my last point about honoring fathers and mothers. We honor them, catch this, by not making them have to be our God. What do I mean? If you can unbuckle your heart and find your total and true approval from God the Father in heaven and not from your earthly mothers and fathers, you can begin Maybe not fully, but you can begin to actually and truly forgive them. You can release them. That's what what forgiveness is. It's releasing someone from a debt that you feel they owe you. Have you done that? Have you legitimately, totally, fully released your parents from the debt you think they owe you? And I'm telling you, it cannot happen until you stop making them into the God of your life where you find your approval. Because again, if you make them have to be the source of unconditional love in your life, they will always fail. Always. People can't give unconditional love. It does not occur. Okay? It's always conditional. It's always got a little bit of selfishness thrown in. And so we've got to make sure our hearts are buckled to God to get unconditional love and not our parents. And then once we are are buckled up to God, we can begin to forgive and release from the debt of those behind us. Do you see how this all works together? How this all makes sense? How the submission thing brings incredible freedom and life to relationships? That's what Paul is talking about. That's what's happening as God works in our lives. I can treat my parents with dignity value, and worth without having to be forced to feel something for them. And that is what God calls us to. And we all know we can, right? By God's empowering through the Holy Spirit, 
this can begin to occur for all of us. May it be true today on Father's Day. Okay, so that's the child. That's the child. The Spirit has worked in the child's heart, and that is the child with nothing to prove. And it looks like the fact that they are actually able, empowered by God himself, to honor their mother and their father. Now, we've got to move to parents. Parents. He specifically, Paul specifically mentions fathers, but mothers certainly are included in this. Um, and so it is appropriate for Father's Day. But we've got to look at what it, what it means to be a parent with nothing to prove. Now, Paul says what it is. He says, a parent with nothing to prove is a parent who does not provoke their children to anger, but instead brings them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It is really important for us to focus on these two words here, discipline and instruction. What Paul is calling for here in this passage is he says, you've got to be able to bring up a kid because that's the goal. This is outside of you. You want to make sure this child is not dependent upon you their whole life. You've got to free them up. You've got to let them go. And the way that you raise a child up to be on their own, to succeed on their own, is the fact that you've got to give them a perfect balance of instruction and discipline. And none of us, unfortunately, outside of the work of God within our hearts, can give our children the perfect balance between discipline and instruction. We generally tend to fall off the horse on one side or the other. You've heard Martin Luther talk about that? He said, history is like a drunk man, and we're on a theme here, trying to stay on a horse, right? Either fall off one side (laughs) or you fall off the other, but you're falling off the horse. And it's true for us with this passage too. We tend to, to either lean too heavily into instruction or we tend to lean too heavily into discipline and we tend to make our kids pretty angry. You may be someone who's angry based upon how your parents treated you. I'm not getting in that today. But I want to acknowledge one thing, and I mentioned it in Sunday school this morning. It is hard to be a parent in modern-day America. Let's just go ahead. mm, Let's give ourselves a little grace on the front end, okay? Before the Industrial Revolution, generally speaking, parents spent much of their day with their child in some form of relationship, which meant there was this consistent and constant discipline happening, and this consistent and constant instruction happening in the child's life. Well, that changed with the Industrial Revolution. Now, the father or the mother or both are removed from being the primary person with the child for most of the day. And so it all has to take place in those evening hours at night where everybody's a little bit tired and everybody's a little bit stressed and things blow up real fast. We all know this. We've been there. We experience it. Okay? So give a little grace to yourselves. You might feel, if you grew up in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, possibly even 80s, you might have a little anger. <laughs> okay, Just acknowledge it. Be okay with it. You might have a little anger because this is what happened to you. You, you did not get enough instruction and enough discipline from your parent because somebody was removed from the household almost all of the time. right? And it just makes kids bitter. It just does, okay? And it's what we live in. So let's, let's make the best of the situation. Yay! God's going to give us some instructions here on how to do that. The parent with perfect balance of discipline and instruction can only do this when they have nothing to prove. When they have nothing to prove. When God has filled their hearts by the Holy Spirit, has Woo! expanded their mind to see the reality of Jesus behind the universe, and they are able to give these things in perfect proportion. 
Let's talk about what it's not first, and then we're going to talk about what it is. Okay, what it is not. If you are fearful and selfishness still reigns in your life, you can often over-discipline your child. Okay, so here's how this works. I'm going to talk about how it works in private, and I'm going to talk about how it works in public. And don't worry, if you find yourself in this category, somebody else is going to get it in the next category, so don't worry. In private, over-discipline of your children has to do with needing your child to do what you want them to do, when you want them to do it, and it's ultimately selfish. Why does this occur? You need, a, you need to read that last chapter of the book, and you need to yell at your child. Um, you need a clean home, so you can feel good about yourself, so you yell at the child. And then also, you come home from work, and you're tired, and you yell at your child because they're getting in your way, right? Ultimately, it's very selfish. Um, and so you tend to over-discipline. You yell a lot. We must be willing to set aside our agenda sometimes and actually instruct the child. That's what the word means here. God says, discipline your children. Yay, amen. It's got to be a thing that happens. Yay. But you also got to instruct them. Instruction takes time, it takes patience, and it takes a lot of effort. It takes sitting your child down. Let's talk about what just happened. Okay, yes, I'm sorry that I yelled at you. But let's talk. Why, why do you think I got angry about this? And you actually have to do some instruction. You can't, unfortunately, the little phrase from the 50s that my parents always used on me doesn't really work in this passage. The whole like, Daddy, why should I have to do that? Because I told you so! You know, that's not an answer. If you're instructing your child, you might actually need to explain why you took the action that you took. That's called instruction. And they want to know that they are part of the important time in your life. That they deserve some of the best moments to really be walked along in the path of life. You're not only an example for them, but you also have to use some words with that example in their life. Okay, then in public. Over-discipline of children in public has to do with the need to control the child because I'm afraid of what other people are going to think of me. I'm sure none of us in here are guilty of this. I'm going to yell at my kid to get them in line because, oh my goodness, what if my child acted like a child in public? Heaven forbid, right? And so I'm going to slap them. You've all seen it. We've all experienced it, right? You're out in public. And the funny thing is, it doesn't work for the people in the room. When somebody hits their child when I'm at the grocery store, it actually gives me like, it hurts me rather than make me go, yeah, they got control of their child. Woo! You know, I'm like, oh, stop that. So it kind of has a backfire effect, but it's still ultimately about you, the parent. It's about you. It's about selfishness. It's about, I, I've got to have my kid looking good, being good in public, so that me, as a parent, looks good. Over-discipline in this way will make your child eventually become bitter. They will have a settled anger in their heart. And of course, the counterbalance to this is, again, instruction. The goal of good instruction is to teach the child by both words and example. But selfish parenting keeps a child dependent and stunted in their growth. Everything is black and white. Everything is good or bad. Um, They lose the ability to have critical thinking. They lose the ability to have nuance. Um, And, you know, we want to allow them to be able to disagree with us as parents and not feel like they're going to get punished for that disagreement. Okay. So, you may fit in the category, a little over-discipline. Okay, the Holy Spirit can move in your heart so that you are submitted to Jesus Christ. Yay! You have nothing to prove. And you can really parent your child in a good way. But guess what? You can fall off the horse on the other side too. Over-instruction, or under-discipline, maybe another way to put it, can also happen in a person's life. And it's also all about me as the parent. So 
in private. Under-disciplining and over-instructing a child in private is this idea that I want my kid to like me. Really what I'm more concerned with is that my kid likes me than that my kid is actually doing what is right and not doing what is wrong. And that's not good. It's selfish. And ultimately, a kid without boundaries, I, Christy works with them all the time in the public school system here, a kid without any boundaries will go nuts. They need them, they want them, they crave them. They will eventually rebel and become angry and bitter. All of you have seen it. I don't need to go into any like real-life examples right now. Now, that's selfish again. It's selfish if I over-instruct and under-discipline. Now, in public, and you see this a lot in Charlottesville, y'all, and I'm, I know I've done it, so I'm not calling other people out. I'm also calling myself out. But here's how this works in a college town, right? Little Jimmy, two-year-old. You know, we're at the store or something like that. And he begins to play with the electrical outlet. You know, and it's like, oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a modern, maybe even postmodern parent. And I've learned to not over-discipline my children. Hey, little Jimmy, stop playing with that socket. You know the electrical currents run the electricity through that current. And little Jimmy, you know, how would that feel if you went, and Jimmy's over there, you know, shocking himself. When really it might be a lot, that's about me looking good in public, right? I'm going to instruct my child. Oh, let's just talk about it. You know, no. Jimmy needs his hand slapped. He needs his hand slapped, okay? Or he at least needs to be jerked away from the electrical socket. I'm not telling you how to parent. I'm simply telling you what can occur if there's a little bit of over-instruction. Sometimes you just got to yank Jimmy away from the outlet and be like, no, Jimmy, that's going to hurt you. He's two years old. He does not understand the electricity that is flowing through the line and electrical currents. That's for another time. And you should instruct, but just because you want to look smarter doesn't mean you can't just yank Jimmy away from the uh, outlet. Again, y'all, God is teaching us wisdom here. He's saying, by the Spirit, catch this, catch this, by the Spirit's work in our heart, we are enabled, empowered to submit both to our parents and to our children. And when we submit we turn from someone who constantly takes, take, 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 take from my children, take from my parents, take from life, take from my coworkers, take, 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 and we give. That's all he's saying. Submission is giving. Submission is giving. It's just giving over. It's unselfishly loving and giving instruction. And your goal, again, is to bring them up. That is the goal with children, so that they can think on their own. They can live on their own. They can interact with the world on their own. And you know what? They give to those around them. That's ultimately the goal. And so I conclude with one last point, And you can see it on your um, sheet in front of you. And this is really important for us to catch as we leave here today. God has proven his love for us. If you, if you, can, if you can live like someone with nothing to lose and with nothing to prove and just give to the people in your life and the relationships in your life, it has to be founded upon the fact that God has first of all proved his love to you. He has proved his love to you and he says in Psalm 139, I knit you together in your mother's womb. I made you. You are my creation. I love you. I am going to take care of you. You've got to get that down into the depths of the soul. God also proves his love for us in the fact that he died for us. 
John chapter 15 says, Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life not for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for his enemies. There's no greater proof of love. Than it, and it says in 1 John th- chapter 3, verse 16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. God also loves us, and we've talked about this before in the same passage, in the fact that he adopts us. Ephesians chapter 1, this is, we remember this, we studied this a few weeks back. It says, In love God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Oh, let it get down deep. J.I. Packer puts it this way. You sum up the whole of New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he or she makes of the thought of being God's child, having God as his or her father. Kind of appropriate for Father's Day. Finally, God loves us and proves it to us through his consistent faithfulness in our lives. He's always with us. He keeps showing up. He keeps working within us. He keeps forgiving us. He keeps moving us closer to himself and away from sin. It says in Psalm 86, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. And Philippians 1, chapter chapter 1, verse 6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He just keeps coming after us. He just keeps working within us. That is the kind of father that we have. Today, if you would, with me, open up your heart a little bit to the love of that father and watch, watch as the Holy Spirit begins to transform that into a life of giving rather than taking. Because we have the ultimate example of giving. Let's pray. Lord God, I don't know about anyone in here this morning, but I know I can speak for myself. I forget, I disbelieve, and I have trouble working your love for me down into my heart. I pray that you would do it this morning. Lord, I pray that you would transform me by your love that you displayed through the death of your own son for me and for each of us. Lord, I pray that this transforming gospel would be latched onto the Holy Spirit and that it would be the motivation for us today to really honor our mother and father. And I pray that it would be the motivation today for us to really give our children both great discipline and great instruction, Lord, that doesn't look out for number one. Lord, we know, we know, I know, we know, your word teaches us over and over. We cannot, we cannot, we will not be able to do this on our own. This is not something I can grit my teeth and accomplish, Lord, only by your Holy Spirit. Only by the grace of Jesus Christ is this possible. So I pray that your spirit would work today in all of us. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.